Radio Krakon. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Thanks for joining me today as we reach the first episode of series 3, in which a man sells his soul to the devil and immediately becomes rich by digging up treasure in his garden, before bullets bounce off his chest from point-blank range. Now, as I reiterate fairly often, watching the episode before listening to this edition of the pod will be very much beneficial in terms of understanding the references and my hilarious interpretation thereof. If you haven't watched any Jonathan Creek before, then good luck getting through life in a successful manner. That's all I can say because you are a chump! The Curious Tale of Mr. Spearfish aired on November 27th, 1999. Mate, introduce the episode synopsis. Episode synopsis. Maddie arrives at the windmill with bags of washing to run through Jonathan's washing machine. He mentions that he does not want to be too late home that evening from the dinner party they're attending because he may have to go to court the next morning to be a character witness for Adam in his defence against accusations that he sexually propositioned a waitress with a kipper. If we knew anything about Adam, that was probably only about the fifth worst thing he did that week. The dinner party is at the home of a couple called the Bechtensteins who, for some reason, think Maddie is Jewish like they are, and, rather than correct them, she hasn't only gone along with it but has also told them, for some reason, that Jonathan is a gynaecologist. The Bechtensteins introduce him and Maddie to their new neighbours, Alice and Lenny Spearfish, who are also in attendance. At the dinner, the host quizzes Jonathan about his job and tells him she wouldn't mind a bit later having a chat about her medical matters. Maddie changes the subject by asking the Spearfishes what they do. Lenny tells them a weird story about the successes they've had financially in recent times. A couple of months back, they were broke and struggling, and he went to drown his sorrows at the pub. Staggering out afterwards, he for some reason walked into a strange emporium of old junk and mystic nonsense, where he somehow ended up being persuaded to <clears throat> sell his soul by signing a dusty old parchment in his own blood, calling it the ultimate screw you to God. The next day he was digging out the roots of an old tree in their garden, when he uncovered a box of valuable jewellery and relics which they were subsequently allowed to keep hold of and then sold at auction for over a million pounds. Upon moving into a bigger house, Alice found the weird parchment and wasn't best pleased because she's quite religious and thought it was really bad juju. Lenny scrumpled it up and threw it into a box and their old house subsequently burned down, with the fire having started in or near that box. Driving home later, Jonathan complains at having had to listen to this stupid, peculiar story, and for having also had to give gynaecological advice to Mrs. Bechtenstein. Up ahead, Lenny, who has all the charm of a dead rat lying on the urine-soaked floor of a motorway services toilet, has pulled the car over and is arguing with Alice. He wants to go to a casino, but Alice doesn't want to, so she gets out of the car. Maddie asks if she'd like a lift home, and when they get there, Alice tells them about Lenny's gambling and the pressures involved and suddenly having loads of money. At court the next morning, a lawyer asks the waitress for her account of what happened when she took breakfast to Adam's hotel bedroom. 
It turns out he invited her in while wearing a kimono, which then just happened to fall open, and lots of innuendo ensues to the hilarity of the courtroom. Afterwards, Jonathan talks to Adam about the whole kerfuffle, and they also discuss how poorly ticket sales are going for their upcoming tour of France. At the Spearfish Mansion, Lenny chats with his financial advisor, Anthea Spacey, while Alice worries about the morality of it all. She thinks they should talk to someone at the church about how to manage things, but he is on a roll and wants to just make the most of everything. He hits up the casino again, boozing the night and lots of the money away. A couple of glamorous ladies take an interest in him and slip something into his drink, which leads to him and one of the ladies heading to a bedroom where a night of rough passion ensues. For a fee, of course. In the morning, Lenny's getting ready to leave when a man bursts in and shoots the prostitute. He becomes aware of Lenny's presence and shoots twice, then runs off. Lenny falls to the floor, but realises he's still alive and gets up. The two bullets are on the floor next to him and he has two marks on his chest. The bullets appear to have bounced straight off him. Back at home, he tells Alice about the whole thing, and unsurprisingly, she's enraged at the bit about him shagging a hooker. However, all he can chatter about is his apparent new immortality, claiming he now can't lose anymore and can do anything he wants. Back in court, Adam is on the defence stand. His explanations inadvertently elicit laughter from the gallery while Jonathan waits outside to be called. At the mansion, Lenny has a swim while Maddie and Alice chat at the poolside. Alice talks about how her mother was a devout Catholic who worked in service for the aristocracy, and then they discuss the business with the prostitute. Lenny shows off the two bullet marks on his chest. Suddenly, the gunman turns up in the garden and tells Lenny that his luck has now run out. He holds up a rifle and Lenny dares him to shoot, but he can't. Then the gunman collapses at the poolside and dies. At the windmill the next day, Maddie tells Jonathan about the previous evening's events, mentioning how there momentarily seemed to be a strange red birthmark on the gunman's face. Jonathan's ironing Maddie's laundry for her, including her bras, to which he's applied starch. Maddie hypothesises that Lenny might have been setting all this stuff up to cover for the fact he'd actually stolen the valuable jewellery but Jonathan shoots this down. They head to the Spearfish Mansion, and Maddie complains about how uncomfortable her bra is to wear after Jonathan's laundering. Jonathan inspects the poolside, trying to figure out what happened to the gunman, and Lenny shows off his new Rolex. Inside, Alice tells Maddie that she's been doing some digging on the financial advisor, Anthea Spacey, who doesn't appear on any professional registers. She then turns up, and tells Lenny that his investments are doing spectacularly well. As Jonathan looks at various family photos, Maddie heads outside to start poking around Anthea Spacey's car, but then Anthea comes out and Maddie has to hide behind the driver's seat as Anthea gets in and drives off. En route, Anthea takes a call and tells the person on the other end that she's running out of ideas with what to do with Lenny. During a petrol stop, Maddie takes the opportunity to sneak out the back of the car. She waits for Jonathan to pick her up and he appears in her Volvo, very slowly, before revealing that he's never actually driven a car before. They talk further about Lenny and Jonathan mentions noticing marks on his wrists, which leads him to lay out his thoughts on what happened in the bedroom with the prostitute. 
The bullet marks on Lenny's chest were actually cigarette burns incurred during the rough foreplay, and the gunman actually missed Lenny altogether when he fired at him, despite being only a few feet away, missing the target so badly that it made me wonder if he was actually a striker for Scotland's football team. <laughs> they go back to Maddie's flat, and they appear to be about to get it on when Alice appears at the door. She says it's all over with Lenny, as she couldn't live with the way he's now conducting his life. The next morning, Maddie awakes to Jonathan doing some internet research. Not pornography, he's figured out what the weird birthmark thing was on the gunman's face. He then has to head off to court again, where he finds Adam in a great mood. The press around his court case has caused a box office boom for the French tour. Jonathan's questioned on the stand about Adam's sexual background. While this is all going on, Maddie enters the gallery and sits next to a Jewish man, which makes the cogs turn in Jonathan's brain. Afterwards, Maddie mentions that Anthea Spacey is en route to Lenny's to have him and Alice sign a document to surrender her share of the Spearfish's financial portfolio. As they arrive, Jonathan surprisingly agrees to sign the document as a witness. Alice then tearfully signs too and runs off into the garden, distraught. Lenny's about to sign the document, but then thinks better of it and goes out to Alice to reconcile. Maddie and Jonathan confront Anthea Spacey about everything that's been going on. It turns out the weird signing your soul away parchment thing had nothing to do with any of this. Apparently, some rich and mysterious benefactor was making everything happen, planting the jewellery and ensuring the money was forthcoming to Alice and Lenny. The gunman dying by the poolside was actually caused by a rifleman nearby using an air taser to fire two small probes into the gunman's clothing, causing him to lose all control of his body and fall over. We learn that the money was all meant specifically for Alice, not Lenny. It turns out she was in fact the secret daughter of someone of noble or even royal standing. They needed to get the money and security to her without revealing why or any of the background. They burned the old house down using a remote device of some kind and then had to try and deal with the fact that Lenny was burning through all the money. Back at court, Adam's case has been thrown out when depositions reveal the waitress had tried similar false claims against other people previously. Adam could have in fact stopped the case even getting to court in the first place but let it go that far so that the publicity could be used to his advantage. <laughs> he may be sexist and indeed probably a sex offender, but he really is quite the marketeer. Episode Analysis well, I don't know about you, but unfortunately I need to rate The Curious Tale of Mr. Spearfish as the most deficient Creek episode so far. It, well, it was just a totally ludicrous story, really, and a better name for it might well have been The Nonsensical Tale of Mr. Shitfish. It's actually quite hard to get your head round what the explanation was for the whole mystery, such as it was, but ultimately I think it comes down to the fact that Alice Spearfish was the illegitimate child of someone very rich and or important, and uh, it was decided somewhere that she needed to be provided for with money without the reasons why ever being revealed. This led to the crazy idea of burying treasure beneath a tree root that her husband may or may not have been planning to dig up. Lenny's ostensible invincibility was just bizarre, really. 
How the hell that gunman managed to miss him in the bedroom from about three metres away was completely infeasible, and I don't think it was ever explained how the gunman then found out where he lived to try again, or why. I guess the powers that be maybe wanted Lenny to die so that he wouldn't fritter away all the money that was meant for Alice. As a couple, they seemed like two people who would just never have crossed paths in the first place, let alone fallen in love and got married, and this just contributed further to the feeling of disbelievableness throughout the whole episode. The whole thing with the devil's parchment was just stupid too. Lenny mentioned knowing that it was a scam, but a scam is something where you lose money, you don't get paid for doing it. And as for it being the alleged cause of the house burning down, well, frankly I'm at a loss to even explain why the house had to be burned down in the first place. What was the purpose of that? Maddie hiding in the back of the car was really unworkable, there's no way Anthea Spacey wouldn't have spotted her. And also, I don't see why Maddie suddenly became the person that Alice ran to when everything in her life started going down the tubes and they'd only recently met. Looking at the positives of the episode, well, it was the second one in a row to mention foreskins, so if you're a fan of those then it was good news. I did enjoy the Adam Klaus court case storyline, but it felt like there just wasn't enough time to get properly immersed in it. Griff Reese jones a very famous face, played the prosecuting lawyer, and the whole thing had some funny lines throughout it, but you feel that getting a star like him on board could have been exploited a lot more fully than as a mere cameo. Maxine Peake played the waitress, Andrew Tiernan played Lenny, Rachel Power played Alice, the episode was written as always by David Rennick, and it was directed by Keith Washington. The Maddie being Jewish thing was a little silly, but there were some fun jokes around it near the start, particularly what do you think of my husband's yarmulke, mmm exquisite, delicious, and then the fake Dr Jonathan doing something similar when giving gynaecological advice to Mrs Birkenstein, the confusion there was also great. The short scene at the petrol station was also enjoyable, but overall I think it's safe to say that this episode is not one that's going to go down in the annals as a classic. The Celebration of Location Information Station Filming at the Spearfish Mansion took place at a property in St George's Hill in Weybridge, Surrey, an exclusive and very expensive gated community that's also been home to the likes of John Lennon, Nick Faldo, Shilpa Shetty and Tom Jones. The most interesting location in the episode, though, was the courtroom in which Adam Klaus went on trial for intent to commit sexual deviancy aided by a gill-bearing creature. This took place at Surrey County Hall in Kingston-on-Thames in southwest London. It was built in 1893 and was designed by Charles Henry Howell, who specialised in designing asylums, which is quite appropriate really given I felt like checking myself into one after watching The Curious Tale of Mr Spearfish. Various other filming has taken place there down the years, including Ashes to Ashes, Midsummer Murders, Silent Witness and Downton Abbey, and the building was the headquarters of Surrey County Council until 2020, with the courtroom specifically being occasionally used for weddings as well. At the time of recording, there are plans to convert the building into residential properties and, quote, commercial slash community slash cultural floor space. For further information and to register your interest, just head to www.countyhallkingston.com.
www.creekconnections.co.uk. Creek Connections. At 30 minutes 38 seconds, Anthea Spacey pulls her car into a Total branded petrol station. Total were the main sponsor of the Jordan Formula One racing team during the 1995 season, when its drivers were Brazilian Rubens Barrichello and Irishman Eddie Irvine. Eddie Irvine was born in the northern Irish town of Newton Arts, the most famous landmark in which is Scrabo Tower, a 41 metre tall structure built as a memorial to Charles Vane, 3rd Marquess of Londonderry. His second wife was Frances Vane, Marchioness of Londonderry, great-grandmother of Winston Churchill. Churchill's famous 1946 Iron Curtain speech was delivered at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri, a town which, according to the 2000 census, had a median age of 33 years. The number 33 is the first member of the first cluster of three semi-primes, 33, 34, 35, the next such cluster being 85, 86, 87. If you multiply 85 by 86 by 87, you get 635,970, which, in the world of print and digital design, is the hex colour code for a medium shade of grey. The lead female character in the film adaptation of the book Fifty Shades of Grey was portrayed by Dakota Johnson, who, during an unsuccessful audition for top performing arts school Juilliard, sang a Radiohead song from their album In Rainbows. One of the tracks on that album is called Body Snatchers, and perhaps the most famous body snatchers of all time are William Burke and William Hare, aka Burke and Hare, who killed 16 people in Edinburgh in 1828. There's currently a strip bar in Edinburgh called the Burke and Hare, apparently, and the minimum age to enter is, presumably, 18. Exactly 18 minutes walk west from this establishment is a street called Washington Lane. Keith Washington is the name of the director of today's episode of Jonathan Creek. Good grief, that's almost as inexplicable as the bloody storyline. To use the modern parlance, I can't even! Another Creek Connection, next time. Pottery Corner Back by unpopular demand, it's Pot- Poetry Corner. The world's worst poet, William Topaz McGonagall, has reappeared from beyond the grave to pen his thoughts on today's episode. Now, McGonagall once walked 60 miles across very difficult terrain in terrible storms to perform poetry for Queen Victoria, but upon arriving at the palace he was told by guards that he could not come in and do so, and he had to turn on his heels and walk home. That, however, was still much better use of his time than watching this episode of Jonathan Creek. Here we go then, with lines on an observation of the curious tale of Mr Spearfish. At the windmill did arrive Maddie with copious laundry, and there discussed with Jonathan a devilish quandary, 
for he was concerned about that night's dinner party, their RSVP to which Maddie had laced with lies most hearty. She told the Jewish hosts she was of similar genealogy, and that Jonathan was a consultant in the field of gynaecology, which led to strange quips about some things Semitic, and Jonathan was invited to Mrs Beckenstein's nether regions critique. The other guests there were neighbours Lenny and Alice, and his storytelling marked him out as the head of a phallus. His anecdote was about selling his soul to Beelzebub, and it must have put the others fair off their grub. They'd come into some money after digging up treasure, and their wealth was now at a level that was mind-boggling to measure, and while Alice was reticent about it being exciting, Lenny was keen to keep on the benefits highlighting. Meanwhile at the courthouse, Kleiss was up on the stand. Facing charges somewhat different to larceny grand, he was accused of doing something lewd with a fish, rather than using it for its intended purposes as a breakfast dish. Lenny decided to hit up a casino, where a lot of money he spent the evening managing to blow, and then two ladies spiked his drink with rohypnol, took his money, and on a bed made him sprawl. After a night of rough relations he was getting ready to decamp, when at the door appeared a gun-wielding scamp who fired bullets into the instantly killed hooker, and then towards Lenny, the horrified onlooker. But praise be the lord, the bullets bounced off his chest. He considered himself now to be immortal and blessed, and the next night when the shooter tracked him down to the poolside, he couldn't fire at Lenny, and shuddered, and shook, and fell down, and hit his head, and died. Jonathan and Maddie tried to find out about Anthea, Lenny's financial advisor, and Maddie raked about in her car for clues to make them wiser. But Anthea got in and drove off, and when at the petrol station did stop, Maddie escaped, and her aching chest area appeared to grope. Jonathan figured out what happened that night in the boudoir. Lenny was so pissed that he didn't realise the bullets missed him altogether, and cigarette burns caused the marks near his tit. Which, as an explanation, is a bit unlikely, and some might say shit. Alice decided she'd had enough of Lenny's nonsense, and signed a form which would she from the fortune dispense. But Maddie and Jonathan turned up to confront the commotion, and it turned out Lenny wished to retain to his wife his devotion. Anthea's explanation was quite hard to understand. It had something to do with Alice being bastard daughter of someone famous elsewhere in the land, and to her, loads of money was secretly allotted, because with her mother, an aristocratic or maybe royal man was long ago sexually besotted. The garbage with Lenny I didn't quite follow. The reasons behind it all were difficult to swallow. Perhaps it was mainly to do with his tender to money away fritter, which threatened to drag the whole charade down the shitter. In the courthouse, Adam was successful in boasting. The case was thrown out and he was imminently toasting, the increase in sales for his French Toulnady consorts, while the accuser was raging, having been exposed to his private ports. And thus ended the story of unexpected wealth. It wasn't a great episode of Creek, and it affected my mental health. Here's hoping next week's is better than the curious tale of Mr Spearfish, and doesn't end up being quite such a large load of pish. Pottery Corner Thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On. Please do subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to this. 
That will mean that when I drop episodes like they're hot, they will fall straight onto your device automatically, much to your delight. Contact the show with comments, adoration, saucy propositions, or whatever else by email, getyourcreekon at gmail.com, or Twitter at creekget. The website is www.getyourcreekon.co.uk. Next up is Series 3, Episode 2, The Eyes of Tiresias, an elderly woman's scary nightmares start coming startlingly true, and Maddie is presented with the opportunity to engage in a menage a trois. Like most of these episodes, it'll last half an hour or so tops, so tuning in and listening really won't be much of an onerous commitment on your time, so you might as well. That's us for today. Cheers to you all for joining me to get your creek on, and I will chat to you next time. I'm Toby. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On. 